Well, this morning I'm going to be talking about uh, evangelism, and often when we think of evangelism, we think, oh man, we, I feel so guilty. I just don't share my faith like I should, and oh man, the pastor, he's going to really sock it to us, and I'm going to leave feeling so guilty and bad about myself. Well, that's the last way I want you to leave today, and the Lord's really been putting on my heart that, uh, that his attitude is that when we're not active in sharing our faith, we as a church and as individuals are missing out on so much joy that he wants us to have and that he lovingly calls us to recommit to, to sharing our faith and be active in that um, and realize that he just wants to bless us through that and to bless others as well. And so I want to contrast a little bit this idea of mediocrity um, and how it impacts our life and that we don't want to be mediocre. Well, actually, at times, boy, I, in sharing my faith, I thought, man, I've, I wish I could be mediocre. I'm just doing a poor job of it. If mediocre would be great. But that we don't settle for that, that God wants us to, to really uh, glorify him by seeking to be really faithful and joyfully sharing our faith. But as I talked about mediocrity, I realized you know, some aspects of my life, I, I tolerate mediocrity, but there are some that I don't. And I realized one area that I've, for whatever reason, never tolerated mediocrity is our kids' science projects. And especially when we were in China, that if they were going to do a project, they'd propose something. I'd say, oh, that is so boring. No, you can't do something boring like that. You've got to do something uh, really great. And so we had this theme when it came to science projects, um, it was go big or go home. And uh, because of this, because we had these grand visions of doing great projects, it, these projects became just more than Teo doing it or King, Kia doing it. It was a whole family affair often trying to get these things finished. But we had a lot of fun through them. They were really exciting. Other people got really interested in what we did, and uh, it was just wonderful. One of the first ones that Kia did may not sound that impressive, okay? It was uh, to figure out what's the best way to predict sweetness in watermelons. Well, this is a big deal in China. The part of China we live in, everybody eats watermelon all the time. And you're always going to buy them, and everybody's thumping them, and has got their own method for saying, oh, this is a really sweet one, you know. And so we wanted to say, well, let's figure out what really, how, how do you know which ones are sweet? So she tested. One theory was we could buy an app on our cell phone for a guitar tuner. And that if you'd thump the watermelon, there must be a certain pitch at which they're really sweet. Well, so she did it. We thumped and thumped and thumped. We could never get them to register anything on the guitar. So I don't know what the deal with that was. But that definitely didn't work. Then there was this method. You put a stick or a piece of, a hollow stick or a straw on top. And, and if it spins, then it means it's really sweet. So we did this. We got a piece of straw and we put it on top. And we couldn't believe it. The thing starts spinning. And then we tried it again. It spins the other way. We're like, what is going on? How can a watermelon make it? Well, we did it and did it. And then finally, we started using two chopsticks to put the straw down on, and then it would just sit there. It was all because of either our breath on the straw or our fingers were sticky. It's a, it's a total wives' tale. Uh, then there was this idea, oh, if you push by the stem, if it's slightly soft, then that's going to be a really sweet one. So she tested out all these methods and then had people test the watermelons to see, well, which one's correlated. Then we found this app called the Melon Meter. So you thump the watermelon and it reads on the meter, okay? And it actually has a program that, that looks at the, the sound of the thump and how it degrades the shape of the sound wave. And if it matches it, then it's really sweet. And then lastly... Um, the local people that sell the watermelons, they said the best way is you look for the color. And actually, they say, you're looking for this brownish-yellow color right here. But that's how you know when it's really sweet. Well, it turns out that was the best method, the most <laughs> predictable way to do it. Uh, but we also learned that uh, it really, that you can't predict the sweetness. You can only predict the ripeness. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing. So even if you, you pick the ripe ones, but they still might not be that sweet. But when we told this to everybody, everybody was interested because everybody in China is always eating watermelon. They want to know, how do you pick the great one? So it generated all these great stories and them asking Kia and us all these questions about our experiment. So it was really a lot of fun. So then her next one, 
She wanted to test the tap water versus bottled water in, our, in Nanning. And in China, you don't drink the tap water. A lot of people don't even brush their teeth in it. It's, it's bad stuff. And we're testing it for fecal contamination. Now, everybody knows what fecal means, right? <laughs> okay. So she tested the tap water versus we would get these big five-gallon bottles of water and put them in a dispenser. So one of the things she tested, different locations, she tested the water bottle at her school because her teacher is a really a health freak and really wanted clean water, so she got this special brand of water. Well, she does this experiment. Oh, and we wanted, <laughs> we were trying to think of a good title. So originally I proposed, do you have blank in your tap? It, it rhymes with tap, but... Um, <laughs> But my daughter reminded, Daddy, we're missionaries, probably shouldn't use that title. So I said, okay. So she came up with, do you have stink in your drink? All right, so she does it. We had these Petri dips that our friend has. If you had one to three spots, that was an acceptable amount. Our, our friend who does water studies says, okay. So she did the bottled water at her school, and it had 180 plus red dots of fecal matter, and her teacher just about fainted when she saw this. <laughs> Could not believe it. Well, it turned out it was, the water wasn't so bad. It was in the dispenser. They hadn't cleaned the dispenser for a long time, and it was like green and mossy, and so they ended up cleaning that, and everything ended happily ever after. Uh, Then Teo, for his, he decided this was actually a project we were thinking of helping locals make money with aquaponics. So he built a full-scale system that's right here. It's a little hard to see, but in the top you have these uh, ceramic pellets in the Vegetables grow, and then down below in the blue container is fish. And there, there's a, a pump in the bottom that pumps the water up every 15 minutes, and then this round tube is a siphon. And when the water gets to this level right here, it automatic, it's designed so that it automatically uh, lets all the water run back down again into the bottom. So the ammonia in the poop goes up to the, and the bacteria in these ceramic pellets turns it into nitrates and nitrites, and, and the water then goes over the roots. The roots don't have to go down to the water, so they don't grow, but instead all the, the growth happens in the, the leaves and the fruit, and then it goes back down to, the, and it's oxygenated and goes back down to the fish. So it's a kind of a symbiotic cycle, and vegetables really grew fast. It, his thing worked. The problem was he went to school where on, he had to take an overnight bus to get there, so he built a one-tenth scale model of it that actually worked using a little aquarium pump. And it turned out great. Everybody was really impressed. It was a lot of fun. And then the next year, he found this Briggs-Rauscher chemical clock. That The chemicals were really hard to find in China, but he did all this work, got hold of them. You mix them just the right way. And uh, there's an automatic spinner there, and it starts spinning, and then suddenly the solution goes from clear to this green, and then about 15 seconds later, it suddenly changes to blue, and 12 seconds later, it changes to this red, and then goes back to the green again, and keeps this cycle over and over at precisely those intervals. And so when he showed it, all of his friends in the dorms, they're like, wow, that is so cool, and Teo loved it, and... um, and then also they use this for antioxidants. So if you put antioxidants in the solution, the more antioxidants it has, the longer is the delay between the different color changes. So it's actually practical. But it was a really big, complicated thing. And so just when his friends said, wow, that is so cool, that was just like the crowning glory. Uh, and then he'd come home and tell us all about it. And, and it was just really fun, these, these science projects. We uh, just got a lot of enjoyment from them and laughter and work together on them. And, and I realized that, wow, when we don't settle for mediocrity, it really adds a lot to our life, a lot of joy. That we do tolerate mediocrity in a lot of areas, but those that we don't, where we have passion and obedience, especially in this area of sharing God's truth, I believe we'll see that God pours blessing both into our church and also into our lives. I think one of the areas in our church is as we have uh, new believers come in, there's so many people that know their Bibles well and are, have gotten healthy and love God and have intimacy that it's just a joy when a new believer comes in and there's all these people that can help them figure out this Christian life. And everybody's able to, to give to them and exercise the different gifts that they have. 
So it blesses the church. It brings all this new life and excitement into the church as well. And then whenever we have the opportunity to share our faith, I just know um, if it's in China and I'm sharing with somebody, uh, a Zhuang person, and I realize they have never even heard the name of Jesus before, and I'm able to, when I was able to learn Chinese to the point that I could share the gospel, wow, it was such a wonderful feeling. Even if the person at the end, they, they would say, oh, well, that's a foreign religion. We don't believe in that. Or they'd have something very maybe negative to say about it. It didn't matter. I felt like, wow, what a privilege I had to. I tried to be obedient to God and share it uh, sensitively with them. Uh, what a joy. And I find in America, it's that same joy. Whenever I have an opportunity to, maybe I don't even get to share the whole gospel, but just bring up how uh, testimony of how God's blessed me in my life. Uh, I always have such a feeling of, of excitement that, wow, what a privilege. God let me be his ambassador to this person. And so God has that joy for us, and he's calling us to, to not miss out on all the joy that he offers to us. But there is the idea that God hates mediocrity in our spiritual lives. A very familiar verse here in Revelation 13 where he's talking to the church in Laodicea. He says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of them. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Then he goes on and concludes, Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in this first part, He's, he's saying, because you're neither hot nor cold, I'll, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. God doesn't like mediocrity in our life. He wants us to be passionate for him. But what's so encouraging is he doesn't stop there. He says, don't be satisfied thinking that you're, you have all that you need, when in fact you don't because you've neglected your spiritual lives. But then he brings encouragement. He says, I'm right here at the door, and I want to eat with you. I want to come into your life. Uh, and fellowship with you, and share a meal like you, like the intimacy of sitting down and eating with somebody. So he's saying, I, I want us to reestablish our, our fellowship again. This verse is to people that have relationship with him, but they've neglected it. And God's saying, I want to reestablish that relationship so we can have intimacy. Would you let me come in so we can have that kind of intimacy? And then he says, to him who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just like I sat on my father's throne. He's saying, those that do this, I will share my glory with them. I'll let you sit on my throne, share my glory. What an incredible blessing. So he calls us not just to overwhelm us with guilt that we're not uh, more red hot on fire for him, but he draws us and says, look at all the blessings you're missing that you could be sitting on my throne with me, enjoying my glory. And then at the end, I think this is just another way. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. He's saying, are you listening here? Do you get this? You can share in my glory. You can sit and fellowship with me. So that's what God's calling us to, is greater intimacy, that we're not sharing our faith out of legalistic duty, but we're doing it out of our love relationship and fellowship with Christ. So, yeah, we miss out on so much joy, so many blessings um, when we settle for mediocrity in our spiritual lives and in sharing the faith. The verse that was read earlier in Philemon 6, Paul says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith 
so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So it's saying here, if we're active in sharing our faith, we'll have a fuller or a full understanding of every good thing. What a blessing to have a better understanding of all the the blessings that we have in Christ. And that happens as we share our faith. I think it's the idea of as we share with somebody God's grace, we begin to understand it better. As we understand and share with people, they talk about their sufferings, and we talk about how, yes, God allows suffering, but he doesn't leave us. He's right there with us. As we teach these things that are in our head, I believe they start going down into our heart, and they they impact our own lives as we share it with with other people. We have a deeper understanding of it. I know that when I, whenever, one of the reasons I like teaching is because in the preparation of it, I learn so much. And I believe it's the same way as we share our faith. The things that we share, we uh, become more deeply, uh, we have a deeper understanding of those truths. They go from our head closer down into our heart. So Paul encourages, man, be active in sharing your faith. And then we had a colleague in China. He, he, uh, taught a seminar, and he often said, the happiest Christians I know are those that regularly share their faith. And then he asked people, is that true for you? And people started going, well, let's see, who do I know that's pretty... Yeah, that's really true. There's a lot of truth in that. Don't, don't we all want to be happy? Yeah, and yet one of the ways we miss out, don't we all want to have the, the ble- a fuller understanding of all that we have in Christ? Yes. And God's calling us. He's saying, well, you're missing out because you're not being more active in sharing your faith, sharing truth about me. Also in Ephesians, it's clear that we're to boldly, fearlessly share our faith. Paul says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly, some translations say boldly, make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Isn't that interesting? Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. That's our responsibility. When we share the gospel, we're to do it fearlessly, without fear. We're to do it boldly. So this is a great prayer for the shims and the leaves on the field. But it's also a great prayer for your spouse and especially for yourself. Say, Lord, would you help me to more fearlessly, without fear, more boldly share truths about you? I encourage you to, to take up this prayer that, that Paul commands. He commands people to pray for him in this way. So we ought to pray for others and ourselves in this, in this way. It's interesting, a good friend of mine years ago did a study of all the prayers in the New Testament And he said, what I found out is hardly any of the prayers were for non-Christians. If you'll look, study the prayers in the New Testament. Almost none of them, very, very few, are for non-Christians. Like, Lord, open their eyes. There's a verse about that, but that's one of the few ones. The rest are prayers for the Christians, that they will be more faithful in sharing their faith and understanding their faith and letting others know about it. Um, Because... God has given us the responsibility of being his ambassadors. So we need to be in prayer and do it fearlessly. And I believe this is really one of the keys as we talk about why, why don't we all do it better? Um, you know, I could try to, we could talk about, you know, we're all guilty of not doing better at sharing our faith. And we'd, I would have to say, oh, yeah, Lord, there have been a few times when I've, I've done well, but boy, so many times when... I felt your spirit saying, yeah, maybe you should strike up a conversation here, and, and I didn't. So many times when I, I didn't follow the leading of the spirit, and I would have to say, Lord, I'm, I am guilty as charged. I'm guilty of not sharing my faith as freely and fearlessly as I should. But I think that's what we need to address, these fears. It's, our fear, it's fears that cause us not to share our faith more boldly. And I want to look at some specific ones there and just be real practical about this. I think we, we really need to change our thinking in a lot of ways so we can overcome these, these hurdles. And, and I believe we are, and we will overcome these hurdles. All right, the first one, often we don't want to share we're afraid this person's going to think we're a religious nut or a Jesus freak or, oh, he's one of those Bible thumpers or 
whatever. Okay, and so we say, oh, I don't want to appear like that, so I'll hold off saying anything. But I believe the solution is right away identify yourself as a Christian and be the fragrance of Christ. I mean, look around in this room. This is really a winsome bunch of people, okay? God has done amazing things in everybody's life. There's a lot of health here, a lot of healthy people. I would enjoy spending time with any person here. And yet we're afraid people are going to think we're weirdos and wackos. No, you guys are winsome people. You're fun to be around. So you should let people get to know you. And I I find this idea, in China often we did this. Uh, We would often go to an English corner. And as soon as possible, I always tried to say, well, as a Christian, I believe I should blah, 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 blah. One of the things that helped me did was Okay, I've put out the word that I'm a Christian. Lord, help me to be a good Christian. Help me to live by your Holy Spirit. Help me to represent you well as I answer these questions. Um, And to realize that we are the fragrance of Christ. It talks about that in 2 Corinthians. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. What's interesting, this is a picture. In those days, when a general conquered a people, he would ride in on often an elephant or a, a, a large horse, but in front of him, they would have a bunch of the handcuffed prisoners of the enemy, and they'd all walk in with their heads down, dejected, And then the general would be behind them, that he conquered these people, and all the shame on them, but all the glory to him. Paul's using that picture, but he changes it a little bit. So it's the idea of the triumphal procession in Christ, so this picture of Christ who has vanquished the enemies, but then the prisoners in front of him are us, prisoners of love. We have joyfully said we will serve him, our master. So Paul paints this picture, and then this sense of the fragrance of Christ. They said in these processions, there would be the the general, and then often they would have incense that was burned. And so it was the smell of victory. People would associate this smell with, our, our forces have come back in victory. They've conquered our enemies. So it was a wonderful smell, the smell of victory. And that's what we are to the world, the smell, the fragrance of Christ. It's a wonderful smell. You guys are winsome. I smell the fragrance of Christ in you guys. So don't believe this lie that, oh, people are just going to think you're wacko, you're nuts. No, you're winsome people. Christ is living in you, and I can smell his fragrance. So identify yourself as a Christian. He wants to have your people around you to smell that and be attracted to it. Also, we often have the fear of being rejected or of not being successful. Now, this makes sense because most of the time in America, basically every place I've ever gone, the majority of people, when I presented the gospel, have rejected it. It's a minority that believe it. So, you know, if even uh, among the Zhuang, they, they started keeping statistics of all the different workers and they were having like, half a percent. So out of every 200 people that were shared with, one might make a decision. And uh, so they said, well, that's a really low number. Maybe maybe the way you guys are sharing it. So we looked at the way we were sharing it. But the reality was this, this, uh, the number was low and it was easy for people to get discouraged. Um, It's easy for us to get discouraged because most of the times that we share, people are going to reject it. Um, But we take that, and, and so then we don't want to share because nobody likes rejection. And I believe we've got, and I think last time I talked on this, we, we talked about how important it is to have the right definition of success. And we need to correct it. And so we used this old saying by Bill Bright of Campus Crusade. We changed it a little bit to read this way. It says, success in evangelism is sharing truth about God by the leading and power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. So first at the end, that's I love that part. 
hey, we, our job is to obey and follow the Spirit's leading. Whether the person believes or not, that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's God's work. Of course, we need to share boldly. And another place Paul says we need to share clearly. So we need to make sure people understand the gospel we share. But when we do that, then the rest is, it's up, and we lean on God to help give us wisdom to do that. But the rest, it's up to God. Our job is to be faithful and boldly and clearly sharing it. And then also, success in evangelism. So often we think to be successful, we have to share the whole gospel and ask them, are you ready to make a decision? Would you like to become a Christian today? And if we don't get all the way to asking them them and them saying yes, then we've failed. But that only happens one time out of 100, 10 times out of 100. So, man, we're failing 90 to 99% of the time. Of course we're going to be feeling down about evangelism. We've got totally the wrong view of what evangelism is. Uh, instead, I believe last time I shared this as well, that they, somebody did some research and found that the average non-Christian had 25 to 30 touches with different Christians and encounters with different Christians, uh, conversations with different Christians before they made a decision, on, on average. Of course, some were much shorter, some were several hundred conversations. Some people are really stubborn. Um, so if, if we're just focused on the final decision, no, we need to realize, hey, if I'm one of those 25 to 30 conversations, that's significant. And in China, we would use this illustration, but I think it works here. In China, when you buy vegetables, they have this scale that they hold up. It's just a string with a stick and then two plates underneath it. And so they put, oh, I want, I want a kilo of peas. So they put the kilo here, and then they hold up the thing, and they start putting peas on. And the scale's like that, and they keep putting them on. And then finally, they put on that one last pea, and it evens out, Okay. Well, this illustration would be our view of evangelism is, oh, that last P is which one? Oh, that one. That is the great P. Look at that P. Oh, it must be super sweet. I'm going to keep this one just for me. This is the P, the P that tipped the scale. Well, that's ridiculous. It's the same as all the other P's. Okay? But so often evangelism, we celebrate when we, if we have the chance to be that person that brings them to faith, we're the last P, we celebrate. But if we're not, we don't even celebrate it. Oh, man, I just, I was able to share my testimony, but that was it. Shoot. Oh, gosh, that didn't go very good. No, we should celebrate. Hey, I helped, through God's grace, I probably helped bring that person one conversation closer to faith. I should celebrate that. As a family, we always try to do that for a while. One of the habits we, we started was we said, okay, every time we get in a, a taxi, we're going to start a conversation about God because it, we took lots of taxis. They were really cheap. That was our way to get around. And taxi drivers were easy to talk to. And so we started to make that commitment. And Helen had a certain style she would do. Mine was always, I would say, oh, what's the next holiday in China? And they would say it. And then I would say, oh, uh, we don't have that holiday. The Moon Festival, we don't have that in America. Our two big holidays are Christmas and Easter. I said, have you ever heard of Christmas and Easter? And almost always they say, oh, I've heard of Christmas, but I haven't heard of Easter. I said, oh, do you mind if I tell you about them? And so then I would use Christmas and Easter to tell the gospel uh, and start with Christmas, how God came to bring us, reconcile us back to God, tell the whole, maybe in five minutes, tell the story. And so I say, and then at Easter, he died on the cross and rose from the dead and gave us new life. So I'd explain it all. And so I, that was just, I learned how to do that. And so every time I got in the car, I'd just start, I'd ask that question. What's the next holiday in China? Um, and it was great. And then sometimes we'd finish, many times the driver, I can remember things like, we'd finish sharing and the driver would say, yeah, that's interesting. At Christmas, well, we go out and get drunk for, to celebrate Christmas. I'm like, that's your response to the gospel I just shared with you? And yeah, a lot of times it was, I'd say, Okay, well, I guess they're not that interested, or this person's not. But as a family, it was really neat, especially Kia and Teo were really good at this. When we got out of the taxi, they'd say, 
good job, Dad. And that really meant a lot. And we tried to develop that habit. Whenever one of us would share, regardless of the response of the person, we'd come up and you know, say to Helen, good job, honey. That was great. And we realized, yeah, we need to celebrate that person. Yeah, they weren't that final P, but they were a P on the scale, getting them closer. So I really think that's really important that we change our definition of success and we celebrate every seed that gets planted. You know, it might be, you know, oh, how was your weekend? Oh, yeah, it was, uh, it was good. On We uh, went to a, our church had a little parenting seminar on how to be better parents. And then maybe the person says, oh, really? And they say, yeah, one of the things we learned was blah, blah, blah. So now they know that you're a believer. They know that Christians are concerned about being good parents, and maybe you've had a, share, a chance to share a, you know, a biblical principle with them. That's one more seed that goes on there. Yeah, you didn't get all the way to sharing the whole gospel, but you've had success because you've shared by the leading and power of the Holy Spirit. And regarding that, the leading, sometimes as we share, I think it's important that we're, uh, we don't cram things down people's throat. Nobody likes that. And so if we share a little bit, we ought to stop and say a quick prayer. God, should I keep going? And oftentimes I'd end up saying, would you like to hear more? So I'd actually ask the person, I don't want to force this on you. Or would you like to hear more? And sometimes they'd say, uh, no, that's, that's enough. And so I'm okay, well, that's enough. I try to do it by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, again, that we don't have to share everything, just as much as the Holy Spirit's leading us to share. And usually, when, the, when you're sensing from the person that they've had enough, that the Holy Spirit generally is telling me, too, that well, that's enough, you can stop there. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're look, looking, and also for the power of the Holy Spirit. While we're sharing, we're saying, Lord, I know these are just words I'm sharing to this person. I need your Holy Spirit to change their heart. They're not going to believe, except your spirit changes their heart. So it's the leading, we do it by the leading and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and re- leave the results to God. Um, also, I think this passage in John 4 is really important. Look at what it says here. Jesus says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. First of all, he says, don't say, oh, there's no harvest, and nobody interested. Jesus says, no, the harvest, the fields are white for harvest now. Already, somebody's receiving the wages for reaping. So God says to us, there's always people whose hearts he's been active in that are ready. Yeah, there may be lots of people that aren't, but there's always God working in people's lives. So don't ever say, oh, none of these people are interested. God's always at work. But then, this at the end is amazing. He said, others have done the hard work. He's talking about the others. He said, I sent you to reap for what you did not labor. Others have labored planting seeds is the idea. Others planted the seeds. You're coming now. I'm having you to reap. Others have done the hard work. What's the hard work he's saying here? Planting seeds or reaping the seeds? Which is the hard work? Planting the seeds. So we have it all backwards. On the P thing, we take the P at the end where you reap. And we say, wow, that's that's so great. This is the greatest thing. Where God says, no, all of the sowing, that's the hard work. The guy that led the person to Christ, that's the easy part. We have it totally backwards. We give all the glory to that. And God says, no, the glory belongs to those that have done the hard work of sowing the seeds. So we need to rejoice even more when we say, 
I didn't lead the person to the Lord, but I did the hard work of sowing the seed. God says that's the hard work. doesn't feel like it, but that's what he says. I'm going to believe that, that he's calling me to do the hard work. So we need to change our way we think about it. (coughs) Another fear that we have is being embarrassed that we don't have all the right answers. Uh, But again, one of the best things to say, you know, I'm not really sure about that. That's a good question. Uh, Let me find out about that, and I'll get back with you. That sentence is so beautiful because, one, it shows that you're not proud, that Christians aren't proud, that you're a learner, that you're teachable, that if they want to become a Christian doesn't mean they, they realize, oh, for me to be a Christian, I don't have to know everything. This person, certainly, they couldn't answer that question of mine. So I guess you can be a Christian without knowing everything. That's an important truth. Okay? And also, it gives you one more time to connect with the person. So maybe it's somebody not at your work that you bumped into. Oh, can I get your number and I'll, I'll email you the answer? Or, or if it is a coworker, it gives you a reason to go, hey, you know, the other day you asked me that. I went and did some research. I asked some uh, friends of mine that are Christians and they told me, they gave me this book, and I read it, and what it says is blah, blah, blah. So your conversation continues on. So this is a blessing that you don't have all the answers. It's a positive thing. We need to see it that way. Also, another thing is, uh, if we start sharing our testimony or our personal experience, the person can't rebut that. They can't say, well, that's not right. Well, of course, it is right. <laughs> I lived it out. That happened to me. Uh, and so that's powerful, always sharing our testimony. Sometimes we think, oh, if we just share, oh, God really blessed me. Like Helen was just, uh, she went with some, she's taking this art class and there's some senior citizens and they took a trip out to the Getty Museum on Saturday, yesterday. Was it yesterday? And so she went along and I just, I prayed for her in the morning. I knew she was going to share with somebody or she'd be with, sitting next to somebody. And sure enough, she, what she ended up doing was sharing her testimony of how after she came back from China, God provided her to get a job at Disney, that she started just doing work as an intern free, but that her, her boss um, really liked her and then offered her a job. And so she shared that testimony of how God, God blessed her in that way, and she really needed a job at that time. And, so, and sometimes we think, well, that was just a story. She didn't share the gospel. But no, that, that was another seed that went on there, and we need to celebrate that. Um, and people can't dispute that. Uh, so that's a great thing about sharing there. Okay, then uh, this is another real fear. Sometimes we're embarrassed. Oh, I'm, maybe I'm not going to share it very good. Okay? And <clears throat> here at last, Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Bible's pretty clear. We do need to be able to present the gospel clearly to people. But we can do it. Um, and the way to do that is by practicing. Okay? As we practice, it builds confidence. We've been doing with the youth. We started with the ABC diagram of sharing the gospel, and they learned that, and then we started sharing the bridge illustration. We've been working the last six months. They've been memorizing the verses, and now I can ask one of them, can you share it? And they can say the verses and draw the picture for the most part, and they're developing more and more confidence. And so... They're excited, or I'm excited, I'm hoping they are, that we're going to get a chance to use this uh, next weekend with the homeless when we go out. If God gives opportunity, um, they get a chance to share it. But we've been saying, better be practicing, because if you practice, you'll have more confidence, and you'll say it right, and God wants us to present it clearly. So I think the same applies to us adults. Let's practice it. If you had to share it right now, somebody said, how do I become a Christian? Could you sit down and clearly explain to them? Or do you need to do a little practicing up? If you need a little practicing up, okay, do it. Get ready. Because I find when I practice and I rememorize the verses that I like to share, then I'm more open to, hey, maybe there's somebody I could share this with because I know it now. (laughs) I won't forget it. Then also we have this real fear of offending somebody. But one of the great things is the fact that you have that fear means likely that you will not offend anybody because you're already sensitive about doing it. But another thing I like to rec- uh, recommend is saying it. Oftentimes we have a fear about something. 
just put it out there. Say, oh, I don't want you to feel like I'm really pushy, that I'm cramming my beliefs down your throat, but would you be interested? You were talking about Christianity. It sounds like I think maybe you don't completely understand uh, what Christianity really is about. Would you mind if I took five minutes to present uh, how a person becomes a Christian? I don't want to offend you or cram it down, but would you be willing to hear that? So you say it up front. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to be that person that's pushy. And you get it out in front, uh, and that, that dissipates the problem right there. So, and I don't see you guys going around offending lots of people. I don't think you need to be worrying about this. Just the fact that you're worried about it means that you're sensitive to it. And then in 1 Peter, this verse says, Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's the key. Whenever we're sharing truth about God, we're sharing the gospel, we need to be showing respect to that person. You believe that? Oh, that's stupid. You believe in evolution? (laughs) You're a monkey's uncle? What? No, we treat people with respect. All right, and with gentleness. All right, it's important that we share with gentleness and respect. And God blesses that when we do. The youth this week, everyone's invited on Friday night. Bill Morgan is an engineer who does presentations on creationism, and he shows some of the flaws of the evolutionary theory. Um, but we, um, Julie had recommended him. I looked at some of his videos on YouTube, and I really like him. One of the things I really like is in watching, he's debated a number of evolutionists, but he's always gentle, and he always is respectful to them. And it makes it a delight to listen to it. Makes it so, he makes them so winsome. So if you'd like an example of how, how to do that, how to even debate somebody yet be gentle and respectful, come Friday night, everybody's welcome. All right. Now, Romans 10, 14 to 15. I really like this passage. We've all heard this before. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Okay, Um, I think I'm going to do this. Who's one woman that has shared the gospel with somebody? If you're a woman and you've shared the gospel with, raise your hand real quick. Anybody? Okay, Michelle, would you come here for a minute? I think you're perfect for this. Come, Come over here. Thank you for volunteering. That's so generous of you. Let's give her a hand. Okay. Okay. Now, if you'd put your foot up here. I'm so sorry that you wore your, your what are these, Ed Taylors? The high top shoes. Not Ed Taylors, but Chuck Taylors. Yes. Well, these are the cool, these are cool shoes. All right. Now I'm, okay. Now, all right. Now, I want you guys to look at her feet here. And because she shared the gospel, what does God say about her feet? You guys tell her. Tell her. They're beautiful. Say it again. Don't cover them up. Okay? Okay. What are they? Okay. Thank you. All right. So, uh, that's a perfect illustration. I'm sorry to embarrass you. You're, You're such a... I owe you. <coughs> okay, but why is it? Our foot is our, we, we think of all the parts of our body, it's the least attractive part, right? Okay, but in this verse, God is saying, when we bring the good news to other people, he says to us, man, your feet are beautiful. Your most unlovely part of your body is beautiful. So what does that mean he thinks about the rest of us? If somebody is crazy about your foot, then they're going to think the rest of you is fantastic. But that's what he does here. God's saying, when we share the good news with others, we have beautiful feet. Do you sense the pleasure that he has in that when we share with others? That's what God says to Michelle. You shared the gospel with another person, Wow, your feet are beautiful. Maybe there's a picture there of maybe those feet had to go through some 
mud to get to that person. But wow, they are still beautiful because they brought the good news. What's interesting, this comes from Isaiah chapter 52. And Paul borrows this phrase, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I have this whole thing, I won't read it all, but this is it, Isaiah 52, 7. But the context of this is a prophecy, the immediate fulfillment was God was going to bring them back from the Babylonians back to Jerusalem. But the ultimate fulfillment was, of this prophecy was when God himself will reign on earth during the millennium. And Paul and the writer in Isaiah here is saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This good news, how beautiful the messenger's feet who proclaims to Israel, one day the Messiah will reign on earth and he'll bring justice for all the nations. He said, that messenger's feet are beautiful to bring the message that Jesus Christ himself is going to reign on earth. And so then Paul, he picked that up. And he said, you Christians, when you take the gospel to other people, whoo, your feet are beautiful. Your feet are beautiful when you take the gospel to another person. That kind of you're that kind of messenger. You're, you're like the messenger that brings the message that God is coming and one day he's going to reign on earth and bring peace among all the nations. That's amazing. And that's how God sees us. So I want to talk quickly about some applications of this. I want us to all the things. I'm going to give a list of a bunch of things. I'm not saying you need to do them all. But think about some of these. Which are ones that maybe God would call you to do? What about our, in our home groups or accountability groups? I've been thinking about our accountability groups. Maybe you have six to eight people. Ask around and say, is there somebody that has some, uh, someone God's put on their heart? They're not a believer, but maybe they like baseball a lot. Maybe as an accountability group, we all go to a Dodgers game or an Angels game, find out what team they like, and we take that guy and we go out and have an event together. And he gets just to hang around other Christians and sees that Christians are normal people that were happy, that were winsome. He gets a chance to sniff the fragrance of Christ in our midst. Or a home group doing the same thing. Maybe there's a family that you have a relationship with, but you need some kind of event to help you take it the next step to plant a little seed. Uh, or an acquaintance, a work colleague, an unsaved friend. Is there one that God would have you to just invite over to your house for dinner? And they'll see that you pray before your meal, that you're believers, and it'll be one more seed that goes on the scale. Or Helen and I are willing to do this. Paul and Kate, there's others here that could do a, a one-hour seminar during lunch on parenting or also I mentioned uh, on marriage. Do you have colleagues that would be interested in something like that? Oh, hey. Someone from my church, they, they occasionally do these um, seminars on how to be a better parent. And they're going to come next Tuesday from, at lunch from 12 to 1. We're bringing in pizza. Would you like to come? If there's people at your work that would like to do that, I know Helen and I, we'd love to teach like something. I'm sure Paul and Kate would be very open. Maybe there's somebody in your home group that you'd like. Maybe you'd like to teach it. We'll give you our notes that we use, and you can teach it. But anything like that. Uh, be thinking, would God have you do something like that to put that next seed on the scale, that next P on the scale? Maybe God would have you contact Prison Fellowship and find out of someone that's in a local prison that you could go visit uh, a couple times a month uh, that's from Orange County or Santa Ana. Build that relationship. You'll definitely have opportunities to plant seeds here and there as you converse. Also, Begin praying for three people that God gives you a burden for seeing come to faith. And you begin every day asking God to be working in their hearts. Okay, praying every day that God gives you an opportunity to sow a seed, a truth about God with somebody. Maybe, maybe the whole gospel, but maybe it's just one little seed, one little testimony of God's goodness. Okay, but I believe as we start doing this, that we, our radar goes on and we start making ourselves much more available for God. Oh, God, is this the person? Is this the answer to my prayer? Do you want me to say something about 
uh, what happened at, at, at church. Um, like, you know, oh, how was your weekend? Oh, yeah, it was really good. On Friday night at our church, we had a guy that spoke about uh, reasons why we should believe, logical reasons we should believe in God. And you leave it there. You're throwing out that bait. And maybe your coworker says, really? Are there logical reasons? Uh, what did he say? Just open the door for you. Okay, you're just throwing out little bait, little seeds, and then responding to them. And then lastly, uh, I've been talking with Paul. We haven't ironed this all the way out, but we're thinking in accountability groups of um, saying, yeah, we're going to try to do this. We're going to pray that God would give us opportunity to sow seeds. And so every time we do, regardless of what the result is, because we're leaving the result to God, if I have a chance to plant a seed and I write the other and say, hey, praise God, I was uh, talked with a coworker today and I, I mentioned to him that um, on uh, last Sunday we watched a movie, or last Friday night our church watched a movie on refugees and we got to, I got to tell him about how our church adopted a refugee. I got to plant a seed and maybe you say, he really wasn't very interested but I was obedient to the Holy Spirit to share that much and so join me in praising God. Now the thing, we, we don't want this to be a thing where you get on a roll, maybe you start sharing with a lot of people and you get really proud and want everybody to know how much, how evangelistic you are. All right, we'll all be sensitive to that. But the idea is we encourage others. Hey, they're doing that. Yeah, I could do that. That was pretty simple to say, I saw a movie on Friday night. Why don't I try that? And so it's just to spur one another on because that's what God's saying to us is, you're missing out. I have so much joy I want to give you, so much life I want to give you as you share the good news with people that need to hear it, that have broken lives, and you have the cure. Wouldn't you, won't, won't you do it? Don't miss out anymore. Don't let them miss out anymore. But join me in planting seeds by the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. Don't miss out on the joy God wants to bring you in your life and to our church as we faithfully share truth about God by his leading and leave the results to him. Let's pray. Lord, we just offer our lives to you. We thank you that you're so gentle and kind, and Lord, we confess that, oh, we failed you so many times. So many times we haven't been bold. So many times we, we flubbed up, we didn't share things very clearly. Times when your spirit nudged us to say a little word to this person or strike up a conversation, we didn't. Lord, we ask that you forgive us of that. But Lord, we just want to tell you today, we want to, we want to change. We, we want the blessings you have for us, and we want to be a blessing to others, and we want to see broken people being healed. So Lord, would you help us to be faithful to follow the leading of your spirit in planting little seeds for your glory? and encouraging our brothers and sisters to, to do the same. Pray this in Jesus' name.